All right. Well, it looks like my uh, my timer up here is broken, so you may be in uh, for quite a treat today. No, I'm just kidding. Don't leave just yet, okay? You try to slip out with the kids, not like you have them with the kids, and you're just gone, you know? Oh, well, I guess they were helping with the kids. That's wrong. No. No. Hang with me. We do have a word, a word that I want to bring to you. I'm very excited about. Hey, and by the way, we're going to be getting a new book here next week, so, so show up next week, and we're going to be handing that out. Um, but this is a word I want to share with you. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And, and as I've said before, I've, I've tried to whittle this down. Uh, the reading, the reading, not the preaching, but the reading. I tried to whittle the reading down. I also tried to whittle the preaching down, okay? I, I really did. I thought about you. Um, but we're going to need to look just, just at a little more, a few more verses than... Uh, than I had in my notes, just because we have to. So notice here, Hebrews chapter 9, very pointed message. Uh, Bob's going to help us out with, with, the, uh, with the timer. He's like, I, I'm not standing for this, you know what I mean? <laughs> There's one thing we need in this church is a timer. No, I'm just kidding. All right, notice uh, Hebrews 9. Now, even... <laughs> Just, you gotta, you got to follow here, so grab a Bible. I want you to really follow along. We'll have the same translation as ESV. Um, I want you to follow along here. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. You know, sometimes people say, well, why, why do we have to follow a, a, a lectionary or a liturgy of worship? You know, let's just get in there and do something, you know. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of worship. Just saying, okay? For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, the holy of holies, right? Having the golden altar. Remember, we're in a series right now, right, about the altar. So follow, follow with me, right? Having a golden altar of incense. Just imagine this in your head. Having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold. In which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim. There were two of them. Remember, their wings were almost touching. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat, which was in the middle where the, where the blood was presented, the sacrifice. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So remember, this is the Hebrew writer, right? So he's sometime after Jesus and the resurrection, but before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Remember, the Romans finally got tired of the uprising of the Jews, come in there and wipe the, ta- uh, the temple clean again. Uh, destroyed it and burned it all down, and it still to this day hasn't been uh, rebuilt. Right? It's the Dome of the Rock now. It's a whole different thing, but that's by Muslims, right? So you're good with your history. I'll just assume you are. These preparations haven't. So this is before that destruction, right? So they're actually still doing the sacrifices at this point. Okay, for the Hebrew writer. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second, only the high priest goes, and but once a year, and not without taking blood. 
which he offers for himself and for unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy... I love the way he says this. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. No words, it is still standing. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more with the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Whoo! I mean, that is... I just spit all over my Bible. I was so excited about that one. I mean, seriously, I couldn't contain it. Jesus, thank you for your word. That is a powerful word. Give us just a moment here in eternity to understand this powerful word we pray in your name. Amen. I'll quote it again in the New Living Translation. Under the old system, the blood of of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could not cleanse people's bodies from ceremony and purity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. It's a powerful text. It's a powerful promise. Have you really stopped to think about sacrificing at the altar? We've talked so far about building an altar and then offering something at the altar. Remember David, you know, he's, no, no, I'm not going to, it's got to cost me something to put it on the altar. And it must. But have you ever really stopped to think about sacrificing an animal? Most of us have not because it'd be, it'd be, whoo, we wouldn't be able to do that. You say, I, I just wouldn't be able to do that, Right? Taking an animal and, you know, you have to lay your hand on this animal's head. I mean, you've been around animals, right? It says the blood of goats and bulls. I was around a bull this week. Actually, several of them. There were three of them in the field. One of them is the main one, and the other two are, are what you could call young bucks. You know what I mean? And one of these younger bulls, I was trying to take some pictures, and I... And I, and I got comfortable out there. You know, the boys and everybody were riding around on the snapper with, or whatever that thing, side by side, with my father. And they had gone, plowed up through the middle of them. And I'm just out there taking pictures. I get up and there's one that has separated himself from the rest of the herd. And I, and I looked and, I, and he's, he's there and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him. And there's life there. It's a li- I mean, that's a life. That's not like looking at a tree, you know. 
and I see him do this number. And he swats his foot down and he does his head. And I'm like, so I kind of take a stance, you know, of like, hey, I need to, you know, this is a serious, could be a serious situation. You know, I was probably from here, Jason Corgan back there, from this bull, you know. And then he starts charging at me. And so I I start running, you know what I mean? I'm doing this number right here. I'm kind of scooting, really. I'm not like full-blown running. I'm kind of like scooting because I'm like testing how fast he can run, see if I can outrun him. I don't know what I need to do if I need to stand my guard and like push his head away or something. I mean, you know, all this stuff's going through your brain all in a split second because I'm in the presence of this live bull, this life that's before me, right? And, of course, then he stops and I stop. And, you know, I'm about from here to the wall from a gate. And then he does the same thing again. He gets mad again. I have a red shirt on. My dad said that was a mistake, you know. I actually looked it up today, and it says that that shouldn't make a difference. But you know what? I'm not going to wear red around that guy again. He charges at me again, and I go full. I just turn. I don't even look anymore. I just turn straight around and just all the way to the fence, jump up on the fence. And then I hear my dad uproariously laughing from across the field. Um, because of my encounter with this bull. Well, needless to say, I wanted to sacrifice him after that experience, you know. But no, but can you imagine taking that bull, that calf? I mean, that's what we would call a calf, right? I mean, about, about yay high. I mean, he's a little bigger than a calf, really. But, but he's, he's, he's up about a teenage year, so to speak, of a cow, right? Imagine putting your hands on it and slicing the throat and letting the life's blood pour out for your sin, Imagine maybe even worse to some of us is this precious little lamb, you know, that, that you had to keep at your house and, and the kids would have gotten attacked. And then the father puts his hands on there and slices the neck and all over that white wool, there's blood. And the priest will then say, because of your sin, this innocent lamb died. And all the kids, of course, are crying, I'm sure. And... It's a great object lesson at that point to say that what we do matters, doesn't it? Our sin has to be covered, the scripture says, by blood. There was an old system, a sacrificial system done at the altar in Jerusalem only, once they built the temple there in Jerusalem. That's the only place where sacrifices could be made. The only place. Which was problematic when they went into exile, right? No more sacrifices could be made. Morning and evening, every morning and every evening, a lamb was led to the slaughter. Remember, altar comes from a term meaning slaughter. In the temple in Jerusalem, it was led silent, defenseless, and unresisting. To its death. For sin. For the sin of the one who would bring it. Every morning, every evening, this was offered. And on Passover day, which we kind of just read about, going in, it was one day where you went into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest, only once a There were Josephus, who's a somewhat trustworthy historian, <laughs> Jewish guy, um, 250,000 lambs in one day. Let me run that number by you again. 250,000, he said, 
lambs in one day in Jerusalem. So much so that they had these you know, aqueducts or ditches or whatever, ditches that would run all the blood out to the Kidron Valley, which interestingly was in between where Jesus had the upper room, Eucharistic celebration where he instituted the Lord's Supper, in between there and the Garden of Gethsemane. And many historians believe he would have had to have waded through about a knees-deep worth of lamb's blood in the Kidron Valley. What a thought that is as they sloshed through blood and they had just heard him say, this is my blood given for you. The blood of the New Testament. Because there would need to be no more lamb sacrifices. Because he is, as John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Interestingly, this idea, and many of my thoughts today are actually coming from one of my professors, John Oswald, just to give him credit here. There's only five references outside of the book of Revelation to this idea of Jesus being the Lamb of God, right? So all throughout the Old Testament, you got lamb sacrifices, bulls, goats, all, all the stuff that we've already talked about and I've detailed here before um, preaching. But in the New Testament, there's only five references. And they're all spread out quite nicely, too. There's two in John. So, you know, John, at the very beginning, John 1, has two times where John the Baptist, remember, he, he sees Jesus and he says... That's the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. That's him. That's the Lamb of God. Notice in 23, the next day saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he looked again in 36, and Jesus, as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Next is Acts 8.32. Hear these words. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading. This is talking about the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember this guy? He actually gets a copy of Isaiah, a scroll. Now this is not, he didn't go pick it up from Barnes and Noble, you understand. Like, like actually a scroll of Isaiah's size, which is really, it had to be in two scrolls, would have been about $65,000 our U.S. dollar. 65 for one Old Testament prophet. Now, I don't, you know, would you, would you pay that for one of the prophets? I mean, that probably wouldn't be Isaiah, would it? A lot of people say, oh, that's too, too much, you know. Too. But he was rich, for one, and he bought this book, and he was reading. He didn't know what in the world it was saying. Remember, Philip, by following the Spirit, comes and shares with him Jesus. And here's what is said. Like a she- here's what he was, was reading that he didn't understand. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Now that's Isaiah 52, and it's a prophecy before Jesus 600 years. And I got to thinking this morning, how how much is the word of God worth to us? Like, honestly, you know, we, we, here at Harvest Point, we actually, 
purposefully have multiple scripture readings each and every Sunday because we literally believe that the word of God is, well, the word of God. It's better than my preaching, better than our singing. It should form up our preaching. It should form up our singing. It is the word of God. But how, when, when we look at, when you look at your life, am I, I don't mean, you know, oh, I own a you know, $200 calfskin Bible. That's not what I, I mean. How much is it really worth to you in your time each week? Do, do you actually pick it up as if it's worth something? Because the eunuch is reading it, isn't he? Yeah, he owns an expensive copy, but, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't put it in a shelf or in a glass case. He reads it. And that's how God speaks to us, isn't it? Yeah, God speaks to us here and all this, but he wants to speak privately with you as well. I think we've profaned the Bible. And in the Bible belt itself, we have a bunch of illiterate people. Biblically. I mean, just as a case study sometimes, I I ask some of my students at Calhoun basic questions of the Bible stories. They don't know it. In the Bible belt! They don't know it. Because they've actually never read it before. It's kind of like being in a library. We're, We're surrounded by books and we feel like we're smart. Because we have access to knowledge, but we're not knowledgeable. What is the Bible worth to you? I think it should be worth everything. There are two instances to round off the five references here in the epistles. One, it's crazy. There's two in the gospel, right? Both in John. Then there's one in Acts. Then there's one in the Pauline epistles, one in the general epistles. You're moving yourself right through the content of the New Testament, right? That's how we actually split up the New Testament, is in those sections. Gospels, Acts, Epistles. And there's two different types of Epistles, Pauline and General. Notice the first one is actually in 1 Corinthians 5-7. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. And then again, 1 Peter 1.19 being a general epistle, it was the precious, precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Peter tells us that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, who was a perfect sacrifice And He chose to do that. He chose it. Before the creation of the world, He is the Lamb that was slain. He knew what it would cost to make us free. To forgive us. Forgiven and free. He knew what it cost. He chose to create us anyway. So, five occurrences only of Lamb of God, right? In the New Testament. But then we come to Revelation. The book of Revelation... (laughs) Get this, let this blow your socks off. 31 occurrences of Lamb of God in 17 chapters of Revelation. Like, wow! So so he picks up this little trickling theme. It's just kind of trickling, you know. You can actually miss it if if you're reading quickly. You could just gloss over it. 
But then John, the same John that wrote the gospel, John mentioned it twice. Now John's going to mention it 31 times in 17 chapters in the book of Revelation. What in the world is going on? Why is he picking up speed on this now? Well, I don't know how else to say it other than we need to look at Revelation 5. So just turn with me quickly to Revelation 5. And let's just, let me just give you the image, show you the image that the Bible gives to us. And this is beautiful. At, the opening, at this opening picture in Revelation 5, Yahweh is sitting upon His throne, and in His right hand is the scroll in which the final reordering of the world is written, in which is recorded the judgment of those who have oppressed the saints for endless ages. But who can open this? Certainly no human can, and certainly no angel can do so. So John begins to weep. Let's pick up where he starts weeping, which is actually in verse 4. Then I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. Remember, this, this scroll contains sort of the the, the blueprints, if you will, of the end. And nobody can open it. So he weeps bitterly. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. Remember, we're just saying he roars like a lion, right? Bled like a lamb. Super biblical. Notice, he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings. And among the 24 elders, he had seven horns. Horns were a symbol of power in the ancient... I mean, you know, just like when I ran into that bull, right? Had he had horns, that would have been even more scary for me. You know, I'd have been running even faster. You know, by the way, my hip is actually still hurting from the juke I made initially because I got scared, you know, for a second. So anyway, Jessica just says I'm getting old. He sees this lamb that's slaughtered, and then notice this. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll. <laughs> Remember, this lamb that has a gaping neck wound, blood all over the chest, now takes the scroll. This is quite a scene. From the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, verse 8, and when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense. This is beautiful. Watch this. Filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. They fall down and he's, he's looking and, and they have these bowls of incense that are, you know, smoking. And he realizes they're the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. 
with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And when I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, in the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. Wow, what a scene. Now you wonder why we say forever and ever, Amen. And Amen. And all God's people said Amen because we mean all God's people. This is quite a scene. And at the very center of this scene is a lamb that was slain, that was slaughtered, that is bleeding out redemption for the whole world. That's why the altar is in the center of our worship area. Because the altar represents this slain lamb constantly. Even the Bible talks about it talks about slaughtering and sacrifice at an altar. It talks about even grapes as being a sacrifice of blood. It does. And, of course, of the animals. And then finally, of the Lamb of God, Jesus. Who, as we remember the first, first week of this, <laughs> Abraham's knife raised, and God said, no, 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 not yet. I'll do that. I'll do that. You all deserve it. I deserve the knife. I'm the one, I'm telling you, I'm not, this is not rhetorical, I'm the one who should be slaughtered for my sin, for my participation in evil, for my profanity of God in the world. It's a death sentence. But thanks be to God that He stepped in my way to save somebody like me. And if he can save somebody like me, he can save somebody like you. And if he can save somebody like you, he can save somebody like them. And that's something to get excited about, isn't it? I mean, that's what the good news is about, isn't it? He's the lamb that was tied up and crucified for us. And he's the only one who could come back from the dead and defeat death forever. It's just, you see all the, I mean, I just, this is just nuts, isn't it? I mean, sometimes I just have to, it's just crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just crazy good. That's why it's called the good news. 
Have we profaned Jesus? Remember what remember we said last week? Profane means to make common. So when, when you profane something holy, you just make it common. It's just like anything else. And in our world, I really think we've lost sacredness. Holiness. We just, everything's just ho-hum. We can, I can watch a video of that. I can talk to you anytime. I don't need to sit before you. You know what? It's different, isn't it? It's different. Be, seeing somebody, right? Face-to-face, facial expressions, all that. Motions, Ugh, right? Means something. Really does. And to love people even through all that garbage. That's what love is. Anybody can love anybody from a distance, you know? Anybody can say they love people. Where's the proof? Only the obedient believe. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Most of us are going to be enjoying some good food this week, and some of us have already started. In order for the food to be made, and in order for the food to be good, there has to be sacrifice, right or wrong. From the hunting and the gathering to the cooking and the preparing, it's a sacrifice. And I've watched both of my grandmothers in their lifetime, in my lifetime, labor in the kitchen almost all day long when we were there. Literally. Didn't even want to eat with it, you know, everybody just serving. But they were telling us that they loved us. Truly. I, I still remember those meals when I'd come in late from college, you know, 11 o'clock, and my mom and papa would be sitting there, and she'd say, Son, you want a hamburger? And I was a growing boy then, you know what I mean? Somebody like, still growing big. I mean, the wrong way, but not up, but out. But, you know, and she'd cook me hamburgers at 11 o'clock at night. I, I rem, that's in me. That's a memory. I'll take with me forever. But it's a sacrifice for her to do that. It was a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice for the cow to do that for me. You know, it's, the, it's the old joke I like to, you know, tell. It's at breakfast there were eggs and bacon. The chicken gave some, the pig gave all, Right? Let that sit in if, you, if you're slow. We're not just called to give some, are we? We're called to give all. We're called to give all. And you know what? A bloodless Christianity is not Christianity. A crossless Christianity is not Christianity. It is the way of the cross... Are no way at all. For it is the blood on the doorpost that turned away the death angel. It is the blood sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant that we talked about that mended that covenant's broken stipulations. It is the blood splattered on the great high altar and touched on all four horns of the altar. That quieted the righteous fury of the Creator. It is the blood, John Oswalt says. It's a quote from him. The blood is not just a figure of speech. We sing about it as Christians. It's not just a figure of speech. It's both a symbol and a reality. It is a figure of speech, but it's not just a figure of speech. You know, just like 
My ring here is a symbol of my love for Jessica. But it is not my love for Jessica. But it is a symbol of my love for Jessica. The pagans, they said the symbol was the reality. So if I lose my ring, that is an omen that I'll lose my marriage. That was a pagan understanding because the symbol, the idol, is the reality, the God. The secularist or the Greek way of understanding things was the symbol doesn't matter. For all we care, you can use a fruit loop for it. And that is not biblical either, is it? For it's not Coke and donuts that we present to you. That won't do. There's something wrong about that because the symbol is messed up. This, 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 my small group, I want to just like gather you up real quick and do this. But that's what we talked about, remember? Marriage, our marriage to each other, male, female, husband, wife, is a symbol of Christ's marriage to us. In other words, it's the symbol. It's not the real deal, but it's the symbol. And it is an important symbol. And when we mess that symbol up, we're saying something about the messed up reality of that other relationship. That's why it's sin. That's some deep theology right there. You can put that in your spiritual pipe and smoke on it for a while. As one of my other professors used to say. For the life of the body is in the blood. I've given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Leviticus 17.11 There is no release from sin without the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22 And then notice this. And so, this is Paul, dear brothers and sisters, we're landing the plane, hang tight. I plead with you to give your bodies, your bo- not your mind, not your money, your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. This is New Living Translation of Romans 12.1. Let them be a living, your body, and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship Him. This is truly the way we worship Him. There's no salvation without a cross, without a sacrifice, without blood. We triumph over our accuser, that enemy of the people of God, by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott, who did just that with his body as a missionary in Ecuador, gave it up. Those people today are Christian. That tribe is Christian today because he gave up his body. He was willing to do that. Are we, am I, willing to give up my body Our culture says all the time, it's my body. My body. Do what I want. Christians, we're the opposite, aren't we? It's yours. It's yours.
what circumcision is all about, right? Even that is yours. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I don't even feel like I'm preaching. I'm just sharing some scripture with you today. That's Colossians 3.3. I'll end with this quote here and this final thought. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis. I want to I be holy. And that's what that means. It's not all about me. If I'm dead, how could it be about me? I'm to be dispersed for others. That's what we so desire here at Harvest Point. You know? A bunch of dead living people. The walking dead, right? Like real walking dead. Like a good walking dead. Living sacrifice. That's a contradiction of terms, isn't it? Not in God's kingdom. We have to lay it all down. Under the old system, I'll remind you again, the blood of goats and bulls and and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. So, let's offer ourselves to him. Amen.